Lord, I just thank you. I thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you that you're so good and you're so faithful. I thank you, Lord, that you want to come, that you want to meet with us. Lord, come be the focus, be the center, be our all in all. You are our portion, our prize, and our inheritance. So, Lord, let that sink deep. Thank you for who you are in Jesus' name. Well, I want to give you a little bit about me first, just so that you know why I'm um, so passionate about this subject and kind of where I've come from. Um, so I'll give you a little bit of my testimony. Some of it's probably going to involve my husband, and I actually have him here, so I might call him up. He doesn't know when I might do that, but I might. Um, so I became a Christian when I was three years old. I rededicated my life when I was six from all my sinful ways. Um, <laughs> I, I really have been, um, like, the Lord has just been so sweet. I, I Actually, my father passed away when I was three, a real sudden accident, or when I was two, and I really do truly believe that I got saved at three because he wanted to be my father, and he's such a good father. Um, so I, I will say that I loved acting and singing and anything to do with that from a really young age, and so I started doing that in high school. I started singing with a 16-piece orchestra when I was 17, started singing with jazz bands, show bands, girl bands. I was hoping that they would give me that, like, the microphone with this so I could feel like I was a pop star for just a second. You know, one of the ones that, all right, that was bad. Um, <clears throat> but I was also an actor. I did movies, commercials, the whole deal. And so when I met Michael, I was going hard after the Lord. Um, I just really got reintroduced to the Holy Spirit and really how active he was in my life. And Michael had just gotten saved. We met each other, we got married, and we moved to Los Angeles to be lights in the entertainment industry. That was, we were passionate, we were ready to go, whatever the Lord wanted to do. And funny enough, Michael, one day, one morning, um, we were uh, dead asleep in the morning, and he wakes up and he goes, it's all about worship! And I was like, huh okay, like, wake up, like, okay, why are you yelling? Um, but it set, it was like, he didn't know, he was a newer believer, he didn't even know why we sang songs in church that much, much less what all worship was about. But at that moment, he knew that he knew that he knew that it was all about worship, and we needed to go on a journey to find out what that meant. We were going to this little bitty church in um, Gardena, which is right outside of LA, and it was um, mainly homeless people, but we went six days a week with the South African pastor, and every single morning he pre preached the same message. No matter what it was out of the word, it was, lay down your life. It's not about your life. Lay down your life. And I guess after six days a week of hearing that for a couple months, we were like, okay, God, we'll lay down our life. And um, not too long after that, we ended up in the Middle East. Um, so we went to be lights in the entertainment industry, and six months later, we were living in the West Bank of Israel not doing much acting and singing. Um, so that was a real place for me to learn what my identity was actually in. So um, it was a lot of learning. We did a lot of studies in Jerusalem. I lived in the West Bank. Michael had a ton of favor with the Palestinians. I had absolutely none. I was like a big distraction. I mean, it was, it was not a good thing. So we went to Turkey to do our mission work, and it was like the Lord was really stripping me of everything that I'd had my identity in. And we were trying to figure out where we were going to go next, and the, I felt like the Lord was asking us possibly to, for Michael to stay in the West Bank and teach English to the Palestinians, because like I said, he had a ton of favor. It was, it was amazing. He was making friends. He was able to minister 
Um, and I was, I was pretty devastated. I was like, Lord, I thought I was following you for the last 10 years. Like, I thought I was go doing what you were asking me to do. And, like, what am I going to do? Like, there's nothing for me to do here. And, um, and so I cried for about six weeks straight. But I remember a moment when I was sitting really cold because we froze in Turkey for about seven weeks. And I remember going, okay, Lord, whatever it is that you want for me, I'm willing. Like, I'm willing to lay it down. And at that moment, I felt like the Lord told me, you are called to be a worshiper. And at that moment, I realized what that was. I was always willing to give my 10% at church. Like, I was always willing to, like, give my, like, I'll sing at church for, you know, my 10% to God. But I'm not, I don't have any interest in doing Christian music. Like, I just, no thanks. And all of a sudden, when the Lord asks you, like he says, you're called to be a worshiper, like I realized what that was, that the king of kings had asked me to come and sing for him. And it was like, it doesn't matter if it's a stage or if I'm in my closet. Like, I, it's the same. Because the one, he's asked me to sing for him. So everything at that moment changed for me. My voice changed. Like, I'm, I'm not even kidding. Michael would always say beforehand, I'd sing. I mean, I sang professionally for years, but he's always like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, but there's something missing. And I was like, what do you mean missing? Like, you want me to sing louder? Like, <laughs> I would get so frustrated. But it was like as soon as that moment hit, and like, I don't know, I guess my heart finally connected with what I was actually called to do, and everything changed in me. And um, at that moment, we went back to, um, we went back to Israel um, to finish up the last of our school, and um, I was like, God, I don't want to perform. I want to worship you. What does that look like? Because all I'd ever done was perform. And so we had a little small group, and uh, the group, it was my turn to be prayed for. And um, this girl who was like this missionary from all over the place, she was just super powerful prayer warrior, and she prays for me. And she says, Lord, I pray that you show Meredith what happens in the spirit when you worship the Lord. And she goes, and I pray that you show her now. And so this is the funny part is actually, Michael, you can come up because I'll make you tell it. The funny part is, is like all of a sudden I hear Michael and he sounds like he gets punched in the gut. He's like, ooh, and he falls over and he's crying for almost an hour, can't even talk. And I've never seen him like this before. And I can't say that I've ever seen him like that again. I mean, he's cries. Don't get me wrong. Everybody knows that Michael cries when he preaches, <laughs> but not, not like that. So you can. You're doing great. Are you sure you want me to share? Okay. Um, yeah, this was uh, after that, that, that moment in, um, in L.A. where I had, you know, this, 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 this thing that hit me that it's all about worship. That was one of the most powerful encounters I ever had until this time. This was something that completely short-circuited me. I, like she said, I fell on the ground. I was crying for about an hour, and they were just, this small group was just standing over me going, are you okay? And I'm like, yes, yes, you know, just crying. Um, but what had happened, it was like, like I, some of us have like a seer gift to be able to see spiritually and have visions and that kind of thing in our mind's eye or whatever, but this was completely different. This was as if my spirit man was opened into the eternal realm, and in a split second, I saw this whole host of angels, and I knew their thoughts. I could feel what they were feeling, and I knew their destinies and what they were created for, and in that eternal realm... You don't need to like talk to communicate. That information is just there, and it totally short-circuited my being. I couldn't handle that information. 
And there was angels for healing, for warring, for, for, uh, for ministering, for revelation. There was just, there, there was all these purposes uh, that were inside of them. But they were screaming with almost everything that was inside of them for her to worship. Because their destinies, the very things that they were created to do in the earth, was contingent upon her worship. That when she were worshipped and released her sound and did what she was created to do in the earth, those angels were released into the earth to do what they were created to do. It's, it's powerful. I mean, I, it, it totally messed me up for like a year. I couldn't talk about it. I would just look at her cry and go, you got to sing. You got to sing. And I could feel their burden because it was like they were screaming. You could imagine like if you were created to do something. Like, that's all you were created to do. It's like for healing. God made you to heal. But there's somebody in another room, and there's this glass window. You can see them, but they can't see you. And there's this button. All they have to do is press the button, you can go heal. But they can't hear you, so they're living over here, you know, and you're like screaming, just press the button, you know, just press the button. That's what I felt that they were doing, but they just wanted his people to worship. And then I just, I, it took me, we just, for a year, just studying scripturally. I don't know if you're going to get into that, but, yeah, I'm going to start preaching. Here, you take this. Go. <laughs> So needless to say, like, we knew that we knew that the rest of our life was going to be, we knew we were going to worship the Lord, and what was this really about? What does worshiping the Lord look like? Because I know that's not just me. I know that when we're called to do something, when the Lord has made us for that, then heaven is released. And I know we're called to release worshipers in this place, and I know in the upper room, this is a place where we're called to worship the Lord. Um... So we have been on this journey and study for the last 12 years. What does worship look like? How do we worship the Lord? It's been, it's been us passionately seeking after what does this mean to minister to his heart. Um, so I want to start with um, John 4, 23. So it says in John 20, 4, 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. So he's seeking worshipers. Well, I looked up the word worshipers, and it's defined as worshiper, but it's also defined as adorer. So it doesn't say the Father is seeking musicians, the Father is seeking singers. He says he's seeking adorers. So that means it can be any of us. If you're not necessarily like, well, I'm not, you know, I'm not a musician, so I'm not really called to this. No, he's saying he's looking for adorers. So I just want to say that before anybody might tune out or something, just because they're like, well, I'm not really a musician, so that doesn't count. I just flicked the microphone with <laughs> my finger. That was really gross. That's why I always have these things cleaned right before I sing, because I'm like, I don't want to, anyway. Okay. Note to you guys clean this thing. All right. Um. You're going to hear us say at the upper room a lot, we minister to the heart of the Lord. That's a phrase you're going to hear. That is something that we are passionate about. And so what does that look like? So I want to go to Deuteronomy 10, 8 and 9. And this is one of the first times that the Lord is talking about what this looks like. And it says, at that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi, Levi to bear the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, and to bless in his name to this day. Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren, but the Lord is his inheritance. 
So what does it look like to minister to him? Because he set apart a group of people that were called just to do that, to, to carry him on their shoulders. It's not meant to be carried in a box, I mean, on a, uh, on a cart, but it's called to be carried on the men, on men and women. So what does that look like? So one thing I want to do is I was like, okay, who are known as being extravagant worshipers? Like, what does it look like? Who are the people that God honors as worshipers in the Bible? And um, so I'm going to talk about two people real quick, and then we're going to get into some practicals because I'm super practical. That's like my favorite thing. Um, so I want to look at David because he's known as being a man after God's heart. And there was something that because he was so after, he was so after ministering the Lord that he was actually called a man after God's own heart, but he actually tapped into something that wouldn't even be written about for years and years later. David, the way that he set up worship is actually modeled in Revelations. Before, this is pre-Jesus, and he set up something that's happening in heaven which was not the form that Moses had set up. So Moses had set up a way of worship, but when David brought it in, when David tapped into something that was even bigger and greater that was actually going to be what was to come. So I want to look at David and his revelation. So um, what I did when I was starting to look at David, it's like, what does it mean to be a man after God's own heart? What does that actually mean? What does that look like? And so as I studied David, I was like, okay, I'm going to look at his actions because his actions speak what he truly believes. Like it says that in James, like show me, show me what you believe by the way that you act. Like I'll tell you my faith, but I'm going to show it to you by my actions. And so I was like, okay, how I'm going to look at, at David. And so obviously David is anointed king as a child, okay, as a shepherd boy. And then God calls him, says, you're going to be king. And so he gets put into service of Saul to play, the, to play the harp. So I'm thinking in David's mind what he's thinking. I bet he's like, this is perfect. I've been anointed as king. I'll come serve under Saul. I'll be his armor bearer. I'll learn what it's going to be like to be king. And then one day when he's old and gray, he'll anoint me king. And that's how it'll go. And I'll have learned from Saul. That's, but that's not how it went at all. Like, he, it was exactly the opposite. He ends up, Saul hates him, and he ends up, like, trying to kill him, and he's running for his life, and he doesn't understand what's going on, and, like, but I never hear David once say, like, I'm contending to be king. I've got, I've got to work to be king. I've got to, I've got to, no, he, you see him always looking after the Lord. His whole life is after, like, God, how can I honor you, and how can I honor the king that you've anointed? So I'm going to, I want to talk about 1 Chronicles 17. But before that, I want to set it up just a little bit. So David has just been anointed king. This is a promise fulfilled. He has finally, after years and years of running in caves, being, running for his life, living in the Philistines camp, like he has been a man of war for a really long time at this point. But it's finally fulfilled. Saul has died in battle, and he has now been crowned king. And so what's the first thing that he does? The first thing that he does is go after the ark, the presence of God. That's the first thing he does. But this is the interesting part. Saul had the Moses tabernacle going on at that time. 
So they were doing the sacrifices. They were doing all the things that Moses had said, but the presence of the Lord was not there. To me, that shows that you can go through all the motions and miss the heart. But David was after his heart. So he went, he went, and the first thing he did was to go and bring the presence of the Lord back to the camp, back to Jerusalem. That was his first thing. So he pitches a tent for the ark, he blesses the people, and appoints Levites to minister before the ark to invoke and to thank and praise the Lord. So then, he, as soon as he gets the ark in the camp, he appoints Levites. Okay, you guys are just going to be over here, and all you're going to do is thank and praise the Lord for 24-7. Like, that's how important he thought that was. We want to minister to God's heart. So now I want to go to 1 Chronicles 17, 1-6. Who knows that the most, some of the most dangerous times are when it's the easiest. It's much easier to seek the Lord when we need something. It's not always easy to seek the Lord when things are going good. Um, it's interesting because, uh, who was it? Bill Johnson was just saying, I was listening to something he said not too long ago, and he said the most safe place to be is the front lines. And you're like, why, why is that? And he said, because you're only worried about three things. Keeping your head down, who's with you, and, who's, and how much ammunition you have. Those are your concerns on the front lines. He said, if you're back in the camp, you're worried about what movie's going to be on, what's for dinner that night, what do you got, you know, like who's fighting with who, whatever the situation is. So your values change when you're not on the front lines. So with that, I want to say, so David now, I'm setting this up because David has just had his promises fulfilled. His enemies are subdued. He is now in a beautiful house, and he's reigning as king. So what are his actions now? And so that's where we say here. So, so now, when David lived in his house, David said to Nathan the prophet, Behold, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord is under a tent. And Nathan says to David, Well, do what's in your heart. Do what's in your heart, because the Lord is with you. I love that he says, do what's in your heart. So he's just like, man, God has blessed me so much, and I, I want to build him a house. Okay, but then here's what the Lord says to him. So that same night, the word of the Lord comes to Nathan and says, go tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, it is not you who's going to build me a house to dwell in. For I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up Israel to this day. But I've gone from tent to tent, from dwelling to dwelling in all the places where I've moved, all of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? So I want to stop there. So I always thought that was a reprimand. I mean, I'd been taught that it was a reprimand. Like, why are you asking to buy, I mean, to build God a house? He didn't ask you that. So why are you assuming that he wants one? So, I, you know, it's kind of like why you're trying to do something that he's not requesting. But it's interesting because God's response to him is very different. And this is what I love. Okay, let me see if I find it. So God's response to him is this. He says, David, I took you from the pasture. I cut off your enemies. And I'm going to make you a name like the great ones on earth. I'm going to appoint Israel a place and we'll be, they'll be disturbed no more. I'm going to subdue their enemies. And I declare the Lord will build you a house. 
So this is the amazing thing. Out of David's heart, he's like, I just want to bless God. I just want to build him a house. And he goes, you know what? Because you want to do that, I'm going to build your house. What I want to say about that is you cannot outgive God. If you are concerned with God, he will be concerned with you. If you bless God, he's going to bless you. If your heart is after him, he says, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be handed unto you. If you're after his heart, I promise you, he's not going to be like, oh. If you're after him, he takes care of you. You can't outgive God. So that, to me, showed a lot about David's character and his heart. But it also shows a lot about God's heart. Okay, the second example I want to give is, um, is, of course, in the New Testament, and it's Mary. And we all know Mary as a, as a worshiper. And so I just want to read John 12, 1 through 3. We're going to talk about that real quick, and then we'll get into some practicals. Okay, it says, have it? Okay. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor, and Martha served while Lazarus was among the reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive pure perfume, and she poured it out on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of perfume. So Joel was even talking about this within his singing, and we've just... This is a message that Miller was preaching not too long ago, or a couple of weeks ago. But this is what I want to say about that. Jesus was ministering all the time. In this season of his life, he was out ministering and healing and blessing and, and delivering people, casting out demons. He was blessing, multiplying food. Like he was ministering all the time. But Mary wanted more than just his ministry. She wanted him. She wanted to lavish her love and her heart on him. And guess who revealed himself? Who was the first person that he revealed himself when he was resurrected? Mary. He so loved it the, the, that he, she wanted to lavish on him that she said her testimony will be known every time you speak the gospel. She was known as a lavish worshiper because she wanted more than just her needs met. At this point, Lazarus was alive. Like, she'd been forgiven. Everything was good. But she wanted to give. She wanted to throw a banquet. She wanted to lavish everything that she had on him. And he loved her for that because it was more than just needs. It was, it was him that she wanted. So um, what I want to talk about is what does that look like here at the upper room? So five years ago, when uh, Michael and I were put over the worship, um, this was a season where Michael Miller and all of us, the leadership, were really praying for blueprints. We're like, okay, Lord, you give us blueprints of what this is supposed to look like. And I remember very clearly what the Lord said to me uh, regarding worship, because I was over the Sunday night, and most of um, I was helping Trace. We were doing the prayer room together. And I felt like he said, throw me a banquet. 
What does it look like to throw a banquet in honor of Jesus? If I was to honor Jesus tonight, if I'm saying, okay, guest of honor, he's here tonight, what would I say? What would I sing? What testimonies would I tell? If he's here and I'm honoring him, what does that look like? So that's the kind of thing, like on Sundays and on, and on um, in our prayer sets, our passion and our call is to minister to him. I want to throw a banquet in honor of him every time we're here. And it sounds simple enough. Like, we're like, well, doesn't everybody? Like, doesn't everybody in, in church in our songs, like, we're all wanting to praise God. And, and I'm not saying that we don't. Like, that's very true. I think every church wants to, like, wants to worship. That's why we do worship in the beginning. Um, but I want to say this isn't actually a real natural thing for our culture to do is to thank him, praise him, worship. Like, we as a culture are very based on our needs, self-help. Like, not a culture, upper room culture, but I'm just talking about a Western culture, is very like, what is in it for me? Like, what am I going to get out of this? And I come and I want my 15 minutes, my checklist, and I want to get a good message to hurrah me to the next week. You know, but like, what does it look like to come and to bless him. So it's not always easy to do, but this is what hit me one day, is um, Dan Moeller, who used to come in the beginning some, um, he said this statement, and it's just hit me so hard for so long, but he says, the enemy believes that we need God. He just doesn't believe we love him. The enemy believes we need him. He just doesn't believe we love him. So what does it look like if we said, yes, he knows that we need things. And I'm not saying don't come and pretend like we don't have needs. We all know that we have them. But what if we were to put our needs aside for a second, saying, Lord, I trust you, but I'm going to come and I'm going to bless you in trust and faith to know that you are the one who knows my needs, but I'm going to come and give you something. So it's not our culture, but I want to be radically opposed to maybe what the culture is out there. I want to be an extravagant worshiper. That's my heart. And so what does that look like? What does that look like? I keep saying that. but So we go to Psalms 100. Because he tells us, he gives us insight of what it looks like to worship him. He knows what our hearts need and how to, how to cultivate a heart that will worship. So in Psalm 100... Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Okay. So, the first one is make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Why singing? Why singing? Well, I just want to give you a couple little facts that I thought were super interesting. Why singing? Okay, so two different things. I think music, music for one thing, tends to surpass our mind and open our hearts. It just does. Singing and, and, and worshiping unifies a room more than anything else. We're singing the same thing. They actually did a study with a choir, and they hooked them up to heart monitors, and the choir, when they would sing, their hearts would align all of them would beat at the same time. 
There's something about music and singing together that unifies more than anything. And Jesus prays in John, make us one as you are one. There's something when we unify in our heart towards the Lord that moves us more than anything. So music is a, music and singing is super important. Uh, another cool fact is they said Alzheimer's patients, one of the last things to go are hymns and songs. They may not know their children's names, but they can sing a hymn. And that's something to me that's so interesting that I'm like, gosh, then what we need to be singing is truth. I mean, we need to be singing the truth because if it's something that's programmed in our mind and wired, hardwired, I want to make sure I'm singing the Bible, singing his heart, singing truth about who he is. So, and then he says, okay, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So I want to break down the difference between thanksgiving and praise, which are very close together. I kind of wrap them up together, but I'm, I'm going to break them down. Thanksgiving, praise, and then we're going to go into worship, okay, and what that, what that means. Because a lot of times what we do is we actually are the words that we're singing. We're looking, what are songs that are praise songs? And that's actually not super easy to find. And I think like four of the songs, that are, three or four of songs that I've written are thank you songs because I'm like, we need more songs that just say thank you to God. <laughs> like we just don't say thank you enough. Um, but he says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So what is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving, thankfulness, opens your heart. Thankfulness changes your perspective. Thankfulness makes you focus on what's good and not what's, on, what's bad. When you're being thankful, you're looking what is good. And who's given us every good thing? God. So, you could, what, does it, what does it look like? To, like, who wants to be around a thankful person? I mean, they're light. They're always looking at the good, like, oh, I love this. I love that. Joel's one of those people. He's like, oh, I love coffee. Oh, my gosh, I love this. I love that. This is awesome. You know, I'm like, he's just a thankful person, and he's fun to be around. Have you ever been around a person who complains all the time? It's heavy. It's not easy. It feels kind of like you're dragging. I've been that person before, and Michael's been like, Meredith. How about you go and write some things you're thankful about? <laughs> Which you're like, <laughs> it's kind of the last thing you want to hear whenever. <laughs> like, what are you thankful for? <laughs> okay, you're right, you're right. Um, but it's funny, there's a time, like, our house is really small, and we have three kids, and we've had people live with us different times. And so Michael at one time was like, our house is so small, I feel like it's caving in on us. And he started, he started being thankful for it all the time. He was like, you know, I'm just going to start thanking the Lord for it. And he was like, our house feels bigger. I don't know what it is, but it's just the perspective changes when we can start to be thankful. So what we'll say is a thankful heart, we always say, Michael and I talk about all the time, there's, there's a, um, something really special about having an open heart and an open heaven. There's a link between open heart and an open heaven. Because what is God after? He's after our heart. So when we have an open heart, somehow it opens heaven. So to have thankfulness opens our hearts, and that's what God's after. So we always like to start saying what we're thankful for. Like, what are we thankful for? Because, man, that just changes when we come in. We've got all kinds of stuff going on in our life. If we can just say, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you're always faithful. Thank you that you've done this. Thank you that you're do doing this. Thank you that I have breath in my lungs. Thank you. It's like it changes your perspective, and all of a sudden you can see more clearly. So thankful. enter his gates with thanksgiving. Okay, praise. Now, there's like seven different words for praise 
in, in the Psalms and they, they use, and they all mean different things. And I'm not going to get into that. Hopefully Michael or Trace one day will preach on it because they're all amazing and they're very biblical forms of praise. Some of them are like raising your hands. Some of them are dancing. Some of them are shouting. Some of them are flashing forth light. There's all these amazing words and how we can praise God. Um, and we do a lot of them. But I want to talk about it in like song choices on what we're singing, like what we're saying to God. And so what I want to say is that praise... Well, first of all, I want to say not all songs that are Christian songs are praise songs. A lot of times what we used to think is like songs, all songs that are fast and that we can clap to, those are the praise songs. <laughs> it's the fast tempo one we can start in the morning to get everybody awake. <laughs> but what are we saying? Like, are we praising him at all is the question. And so I always say praise is verb driven. Praise is based on what he has done for us. What has he done? Well, he's healed me. Well, he has delivered me. He's saved me. It's all these things that he's done. Praise is based on what he has done for us. And I can guarantee if you come in and you're kind of having a hard day and you start to go, well, thank you for doing this and thank you for doing that. And he saved me and he's done this and he's done this for me and he's done that for me. All of a sudden, your outlook starts to change a little bit and your faith starts to get stirred for what's possible. This is one of my favorite things. Okay, Michael, come back up. I'm going to give a, give, uh, a good demonstration of what praise looks like, okay? I'm going to praise Michael, okay? Because this is what we do a lot of times. Okay, Michael. Take me higher. Because I really need you. And I want more. And I want all that you have for me. And I'm free to run and break every chain, and I'm really hungry and thirsty, and I'm waiting for you. <laughs> so are all those bad things to say? No. They're totally fine to say. But are they praised? Did I praise Michael? Did you learn anything about Michael? It was about me and what I want. <laughs> And so a lot of times, our, what we think we're doing is praising, but really what we're doing is we're asking, we're still focused on ourselves. So I'm going to now praise Michael, okay? So if I said, Michael, you're a faithful husband. You're one of the most honest people I know. You walk in integrity, and you're loyal. You're an incredible father. You're funny. You're adventuresome and you're creative, and you're fun to be around, and I absolutely love you. That I praise Michael. <laughs> Did that... <laughs> okay, you're good. You can go sit down. But did you learn more about Michael in that moment? Did you see who he was? Is your heart stirred? Like, wow, he's a really great guy. I think so. Um, I am meditating on what he's done and not what I don't have. You can actually pray yourself into doubt. 
And I'm not saying like there's there's forms of prayer that I'm not I'm not not condoning prayer. Don't get me hear me out here. But I'm saying you can look at the problem and you can go, this is so big and I need help with this and how are we gonna do this? And no 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 and you can look at this to where the problem gets so big that and God doesn't look very big at that point. But there's something about going, God, you've done this for me. You've been faithful in the past. You showed up here. You provided for me here. You didn't leave me there. God, you're so faithful. That's who you are. And then all of a sudden the problem is put in the right perspective and God is God again. And you can have faith to know that he's big enough to handle it. So praise is something that actually stirs your faith to go, he is so good. Why was I ever doubting? Praise, okay, so this is sometimes, this is another thing that sometimes I would get. Okay, but I'm having the worst day of my life. I am having the worst season, so how can I come in and sing praise songs? Like, I feel so hypocritical. Okay? Like, that's what I've become. Like, okay, I just feel it. Let me tell you this, though. It is never hypocritical to agree with the truth. It is never hypocritical to agree with the truth. Your feelings may change with circumstances or hormones or whatever, but it's never, it's never hypocritical to agree with the truth. So I tell this to our worship leaders all the time. I'm like, okay, so this person comes in, and they've had the worst day of their life, and this person here, they've just had the best day of their life. How are you going to minister to both of them? Well, I promise that if I agree with who he is, he'll meet, when he walks into the room, he meets both of their needs. When the God of truth walks in, he can both minister and celebrate at the same time, and I can't do that. That is who he is. And so what I'm doing when we're worshiping, I'm, we're saying, this is who you are. This is what you've done. This is what you've done. You've done this here. And then all of a sudden, the God of all of those things that he's done starts to show up and we can't help but respond. And that's worship. When we begin to praise and we begin to stir our faith and go, oh, you've done this. Oh, you've been faithful. I tell our worship leaders all the time, I'm like, okay, in those moments when you begin to praise and something starts to stick out to you, some phrase is sticking out, something that he's done, then all of a sudden you can be like, who are you revealing yourself as right now? Like, who are you coming as right now? Are you coming as father? Are you coming as healer? Are you savior right now? Like, who are you revealing your, a characteristic of who you are right now? And it's incredible because as he does that, as he comes like that, then all of a sudden, like, if he's coming and revealing himself as healer, then all of a sudden a lot of times the pastor will tap into healing. Oh, 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 God's doing that. And then people get healed because the God who heals shows up. There is something so powerful about our praise, and it's personal. If you'll notice, like, I'll be able to praise Michael a lot better than you guys because you don't know Michael like I know Michael. The more I get to know Jesus, the more I can praise him. And you can't praise him the same way I can. And I can't praise him the same way you can because your story is different than mine. And your story is beautiful. He loves your story. And he wants you to tell him why you love his, your story. So it's amazing, it's amazing to, like, to be able to make your praise personal. Make it personal. Um, one thing I wanted, one little example that I wanted to, to share within that is um, I was just watching it the other day, too. There's this girl named, uh, her name, I think her name is Delia or Delia. I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. And she was a worship leader. 
And in the 1980s, she was in a horrible car accident, and she was paralyzed. And she was paralyzed for 22 years, and she remained a worship leader. So actually on her website, it said, um, Delia, she doesn't walk, but she soars. Because she just continued to worship. Her husband, I think, was a pastor. And, um, and I actually had some friends that... Um, that worshiped with her and they would have to help move her legs and stuff like that because she had no feeling in her legs whatsoever. But I watched this video and it was of a revival and she was getting healed. Like she, after 22 years, she was, it's this amazing story where you just see her like all of a sudden, all of a sudden like feeling comes back into her legs and she just starts like, she's just weeping and, and she finally steps out of the wheelchair and the, I mean, everybody's just praising like crazy. And so I watched, they're walking her around the room and she's able to like move her legs. She hasn't walked in 22 years, 22 years. And all of a sudden afterwards, like you see another video, the next video comes on, she's walking on stage and she's going, you're my healer, you're my healer, you're my healer. I mean, she's just going for it. And you feel the tangible presence of the healing God because she knows him as healer. She knows him as healer. It is amazing. I, I, I cried like a baby for like 30 minutes. <laughs> I Go look it up. It's Delia. Her name is D-E-L-I-A. And you can look up her testimony. It's amazing. They actually had in New York, they had, a, they had a Delia day because it was that crazy, like such an amazing testimony. The city of New York did one. It was amazing. So worship is, who is God? So verb driven is praise. God is, this is who God is, despite if he's done anything for us or not. He's holy. He's worthy. He's omnipotent. He's king. All of these things, this is who he is. Who he is is when we begin to worship. Who he is. So I say this, like, the most extravagant praise creates the most extravagant worship. The deeper we go in praise, the deeper we go in worship. Um, I read this book a long time ago that really shaped my, um, my heart for worship and in worship when I was just learning about it all. And um, the book is called Glory. I highly recommend it. Um, it's by Ruth Ward Heflin. And it was funny because that's when, I, when we first took over, we did a songwriting intensive. Um, and I had all the worship leaders read Glory. And in the back of the book... It actually gives a prophecy of the end times revival that's supposed to start in Dallas, Texas. She was not, like, she had no ties she, to Dallas. She lived in Israel, and her ministry was in Virginia and in Israel. But she was taken up in a vision, and she saw the end time revival, and it started in Dallas. So it's been one of those kind of books that has just really moved, moved my heart. But one thing she says is, praise until the spirit of worship comes. Worship until the glory comes, and then just stand in the glory. Praise until the spirit of worship comes. Worship until the glory comes, and then just stand in the glory. This brings us back to the Deuteronomy scripture. And again, it says, at, the at that time, the Lord separated the tribe of Levi to bear the Ark of the Covenant, to stand before the Lord, to minister to him, to bless in his name to this day. And therefore, there's no portion or inheritance for like, this, like his brothers, 
but the Lord is his inheritance. So as we, as a house, as the upper room, we say we want to restore the tabernacle of David. We want to be a church that says, God, we want to minister to your heart. We want to lavish praise on you. At that point, our inheritance and our portion becomes him. And he is not a God. He does not have lack. I don't think I, don't think I have full revelation even close to what that means to have God as your portion. What does that mean to have God as your inheritance? God is your inheritance. Every good thing that we want, he created, he made. It's all in him. And he's saying, I'll be your inheritance. So our conviction at the upper room and in our sets and in our Sundays is like, God, we want to come, and our heart is to trust you with our needs. We're not saying we don't have them. We're just saying, hey, I know that you're big enough, and we're going to come, and we're going to worship and give you every part of our hearts, and we're going to trust that if we build your house, you'll take care of ours. If we build your house, you'll take care of ours. So if you guys want to just come up real fast, and we're going to, we're going to worship. I'm going to pray real fast. And then I'd like us all just to dedicate our hearts and our time, especially if you do feel called to the upper room in this ministry. Even if you have another church and you just want to come on Sunday nights because you believe in this, in this, in this message, in the rebuilding the tabernacle of David, then I encourage you. I encourage you to pray this. Jesus. Jesus, make us men and women after your heart. Make us men and women after the one thing. That we would be one that would carry your presence, that we would minister to you, and that you would be our portion and our inheritance. Lord, I ask for wisdom and revelation and eyes to see that that is the greatest gift that could be ever given, is to have you as our inheritance.